0: Hey, how are you guys doing today? Good, man. God is good, isn't He? And greatly to be praised. This is that awkward moment of silence. When you guys watch me while I get ready. If you need a Bible, we want to get one put in your hands. We have guys poised and prepared. If you need one, just raise your hand. And I have uh, right down here in the front as well. Right, coming to your uh, left, sir. Right here. Um, but. Uh, I have put in an order, just so you know, to get a little bit better uh, handout Bibles. You know, they're cool. They have God's Word in them. They work. But as I've gotten older, I can't read them anymore. I'm just going to say it. You know, it's like, you know, the print's like, you know, .05 font or something. I'm like, man, we got to do better than that, man. So uh, you guys still with me? Okay. Okay. Well, then let's take our Bibles. And it's good to be back. By the way, I know uh, you know I missed you guys. I don't. I I hope that was mutual. But I I missed you guys. We had a great anniversary a couple weeks ago. Twenty-seven years. About eight of you are really excited about that. That's cool. Uh, The uh, the rest of you, you know, you'll get it figured out eventually. Um, And then and then after that, I just got sick. I think my wife gave me something that she had or something i mean and she was all like Ugh. and then i got all you know kind of like side you, side us. and but i'm good now so uh let's uh let's take our bibles and open them to the the book of first corinthians as we continue in it uh we're going to go uh into chapter 15 we're going to look at verses 12 through 28 today in a message that i have uh, entitled so uh, how does it end right so Let's take our, our hearts uh, to the Lord even now. Father God, we just pray that um, as we have gathered here and in, in our heart's desire is to, to learn of you, uh, God, to uh, uh, find ourselves yielding to you to be, to be made more like you. Uh, so to that end, I pray, Lord, that... Uh, well, Lord, a couple of things. If, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, God, we pray for their salvation. Yes. Lord, that they would come to know you in a personal way today as we just uh, stop to take the time to consider the resurrection, its implications, and its applications, God. And, uh, and, and, and those of us who do, Lord, that we would be strengthened in our faith today. And so, Lord, uh, you know, salvation, strengthening, sanctification, we're just praying, God, that you would just fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us today as only you can. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Have you ever wondered, you know, like, so h- how does it end? You know, how, how exactly will the Lord wind down and wrap up human history as it pertains to the fallen state, you know, of... Humanity. Well, Paul actually touches on that topic uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, it may interest you to realize that it's related specifically directly to the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ necessarily set in motion a chain of events that must culminate in the destruction of death and the establishing of the eternal sinless state. The day is coming, somebody give God praise, when sin will cease to exist and death will be destroyed. Uh, guys, I can't say it strongly enough. The resurrection is the heart. The lifeblood of each aspect, every nuance, every little glimmer of the gospel. As the heart pumps life to every area of the body, so too the truth of the resurrection gives life to every area, uh, each part of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, everything hinges upon it. If there's no resurrection... Christianity wouldn't really be distinct from any other philosophy, any other uh, ideology of man. Nothing more ultimately than wishful thinking or religious speculation. Now up to this point, if you've been with us or following along uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul has reminded the Corinthian Christians of the fundamental facts of the gospel. And you know what they are, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture sure that he was buried, and that on the third day he was raised again to life according to the scripture. And Paul has called forth hundreds and hundreds of witnesses to the resurrected Jesus, uh, beginning in order with Peter, uh, the apostles, and then the over 500 witnesses, which I was talking with my wife the other night, and I, look, I have nothing to base this on other than sheer speculation, but it is my personal persuasion that it was way more than 500 at the time, and here's why because in that day well you remember when I explained to you last time why when Paul was calling forth these witnesses and these two uh, rows of lights here aren't even on but that's okay so if I step over in the shadows I'm just letting you know Um, Paul was calling forth witnesses and he and even though Jesus appeared to the women first he didn't call he didn't call their witness Do you remember that Uh, He started with Peter and then he went with the apostles and then the 500 and all. And that's primarily because in that day, you know, a woman's testimony just wasn't uh, received in a in a court of law or whatever. They just they were. And and so you remember when Jesus fed the five thousand and then he fed the four thousand and we read that it was five thousand. But then we we discover that that was just the men. It didn't include the count of the women or the children. And so my suspicion is this is the same. I don't know if you care about that or why I'm even bringing that up, but I, I, sus- I suspect there was way more than 500 at one time. And then he appeared to, uh, you know, uh, his half brother James, and then finally, uh, to, you know, the Lord appeared to his half brother James, and finally, Paul himself. And so he's establishing the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a dogmatic, inflexible, absolute, and assertive fashion. Why? Well, because it's important. Listen, in fact, non negotiable that you and I be absolutely, unwaveringly, concretely, and completely established on that fact. Okay? I want you to notice look with me now, beginning in verse 12. He says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how? Do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Well, family, I trust the problem is plain in your eyes. Some of the Corinthian Christians were struggling with the reality of a resurrection. It would seem as though, you know, they heard the message of the gospel, they, they believed it, but never really stopped to consider the application or the implications, meaning, you know, that they could hear and receive the message of the gospel, but they didn't really do the math in how it applied to them. You see, it was a very common Greek philosophy that the body, and I'm just going to put it in my own kind of way, uh, was innately sinful and, and ultimately the cause of all human struggle, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, and that when you died, you were finally free of the sin or the struggles uh, that came with the body. You would be essentially, they would, their philosophy would say like pure spirit, right? If you'll allow me uh, that. And so the idea of being reunited to the body seemed both incomprehensible and reprehensible to boot. But listen, I want you to understand something. Your body is not sinful, okay? Now, what you do with your body may be, um, but your body is like a a tool or um, like an instrument or like a weapon, you know, in and of itself capable of incredible good. But in the wrong hands, if utilized inappropriately, it can wreak unimaginable devastation, destruction, and harm. So let's remind ourselves, Jesus was not only God, but he was also man. And as man, he lived in a body just like yours, just like mine, but he was not contaminated by the sin nature. Why? Because he was not found in Adam, as we'll see here in a little bit, but God being his father. Now, back in verse 11, Paul reminded them that the gospel was preached and they believed. And we already rehearsed in our introductory statements that uh, one uh, definite non-negotiable aspect of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it would seem, perhaps, maybe it wasn't the resurrection of Jesus that they were struggling with. You know, I mean, he was without sin; they, they could grasp that, but they couldn't conceive of a bodily resurrection that would belong to you and me. Or perhaps these people, those who had come in, whether it be of the Greek philosophy or even the Sadducees—you guys remember those guys, right? The Jews who didn't believe in a resurrection—and it was very common that they would—and we'll talk about that maybe a little more next time. But it was very common. That they would follow Paul around and try and undermine his, his teaching. And uh, so it could be that they came to believe, and then these guys got a hold of them. Some of them got some hooks put in them. And now, while I go, maybe I'm confused. You know, I'm not sure exactly what I believe or how this works and all. Now, they had no problem believing in an eternal state, they just couldn't conceive of it, including the body. But again, let's remind ourselves, resurrection isn't simply life after death. It's the continuation of life after death in glorified bodies, which is the body you have currently in a glorified state. Again, Paul will touch more on this topic when we gather together next time. What he's trying to develop or establish for us here. Is the fact that the resurrection of Jesus didn't just prove something about his person, but that it established and proved a principle. Okay, this is important. The principle of resurrection is tied to the person of Jesus Christ. Are you with me on that? The principle of resurrection is tied to the person of Jesus Christ. But here in verse 13, Paul essentially takes these people to the mat, and I love it. And then in the subsequent verses, he begins like this systematic kind of ground and pound, leaving zero room for debate on this doctrine. He says, listen, you realize that if you're going to take your stand on the position that there's no resurrection of the dead, then you necessarily have to conclude or concede to the fact that Christ is not risen. Or another way to understand that, you're saying that Jesus is still dead. And if you don't believe in a resurrection of the dead, then you're saying Christ isn't risen. And if you don't believe that Christ is risen then that necessarily, again, there's no ifs, ands, or buts here. uh, This results in radical ramifications and reverberations. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen to me. The resurrection is the fundamental, foundational anchor of the gospel. Everything hinges upon this truth, So that if you are wavering or waffling on that fact, listen to me, then you are wavering on the reality of whether or not you are even saved, okay? And beyond that, you're wavering and waffling on the reality of if anyone can even be saved, okay? Now, if you're not saved and no one can be saved, then what's the point of all this, Okay, that's where Paul is preparing to take us. Family, your salvation is not resting upon uncertainty. Okay, you're founded upon the rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead. Amen. If not, hey, listen, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, why don't we all just fold up our Bibles, walk out the door and never come back? I mean, listen, drain this life for all it's worth, because this vapor of a hopeless life is all you got. All right? Look, notice with me, turn our attention to verse 14. He says, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins." Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men are, we are of all men the most pitiable. Guys, do you see what I mean when I say that to deny the doctrine of the resurrection is to tear the heart out of the gospel message and leave it lying dead on the floor? I mean, there is nothing about the gospel that is not tied directly to and affected by the resurrection. Think it through, where is the hope or the rationale for that matter in tying your trust for everlasting life to a man who's dead? You, you, you wanna tie your hope to everlasting life to a man who's dead. Well, that seems a little counterintuitive. Uh, Now, if Christ is not risen, listen, everything changes. Last week, you know, Pastor Russ was teaching out of the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, a book that essentially is written demonstrating how to lead a life that amounts to absolutely no value as it pertains to eternal issues. You know, everything is vanity. A- absolutely pointless eternally. If you're not going to honor God, if you're not going to obey God, if you're not going to serve God. All throughout that book, Solomon shows the vanity of this, the emptiness and worthlessness of that. And here, Paul essentially echoes the same sentiment. Now, different subject, but same sentiment. He says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is Empty. That is, it is pointless. Uh, it's in vain. There is nothing of substance. There's no value to it. And guess what, Paul says? Your faith is also empty. Not only is our, there no value or no substance to my preaching, there's no substance, there's no value to your faith. Why? Because you're believing in a resurrected Savior when the truth is, if these few folks were to be correct, there's no resurrection at all. You see, guys, Paul is pointing out the fact that you cannot disassociate or disconnect the resurrection of Christ from the principle of resurrection that he, that is Jesus, established for us all. Do you understand that? In other words, there is either a resurrection or there is not. Okay, you can't apply it to one man and then leave out all of mankind. Okay, it doesn't work that way. And he says, still worse, if the dead don't rise, that means Christ isn't risen. Now, he says, we've testified to you that God raised Jesus from the dead. And if the fact of the matter is that he didn't, well, what does that make all of us apostles? What does that make all of us who, the ambassadors of Christ? He says, we're, we're all liars then. I mean, you're, you're, you're in denying the resurrection, you're saying that we're all liars. Take it one step farther, guys. Jesus claimed on a semi-consistent basis, didn't he, that he would rise from the dead. You know, John chapter 2, there he is referring to his body, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Uh, In John chapter 10, he said, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Now, when we were together last we took the time when we were saying that Jesus Christ was crucified for our transgressions according to the scriptures was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures if you remember right we took the time to establish that the scriptures prophesied the resurrection as well so now not only are you calling the apostles liars, not only are you saying Jesus was a false prophet, you're saying that the word of God isn't true. Can't be trusted. Guys, do you see how that when you begin to tug on the string that doubts or denies the resurrection, everything unravels? Everything in Christianity is anchored to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then what's the conclusion, again, necessarily, fact of the matter? You see, what does it have to be? That your faith is futile. That is, it serves zero purpose, and you are still in your sins. That's what it means. In other words... If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you can only assume that his payment for sin was rejected. And if his payment was rejected, you and me, we have zero hope of rescue eternally. We're lost because Christ has no power to save us. There is no salvation. There's only alienation from God. And not only that, if there's no principle of resurrection, not only are you still in your sins currently, but Paul is trying to point out that your loved ones who have died before you, believing in Christ, have perished eternally. They're gone forever. You'll never see them again. That's why he says, if Christ isn't risen, and in this life, we place all of our hope in Christ... Then everything we do, all that we endure, the entire Christian life is a pitiable joke. Listen, it's true that becoming a Christian solves many problems. You know, it strengthens marriages, it makes you a better employee, it, it teaches you to love and treat humanity, you know, with respect and, and all of the things. And, but let's be honest, it also opens up a whole host of other problems. Jesus never said he was the easy way. He said he was the only way. In fact, he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Guys, our hope doesn't lie in this world. Sometimes being a believer can make the circumstances that surround your life really, really bad. Guys, think about Paul. You know, poorly clothed, consistently hungry and thirsty, often beaten, placed in prison, stoned and left for dead. Think about you. You you had an opportunity, but because of your conviction, it passed over you. Or, you know, maybe you were oppressed or you were, you know, whatever the case may be. For what? For a lie? For deception? For delusion? If it's not true, guys, hey, where's the party? you understand what I'm saying? Let's drain this life dry. You see, for the unbeliever, this life is the only shot at pleasure or happiness they'll ever know. Such is not the case for the Christian. We read in the 16th Psalm, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. You know, it's been said that this life is as close to heaven as the unbeliever will ever get. But for the believer, this is as close to hell as you will ever be. Guys, I hope you're beginning to glean how important, just how critical the truth of the resurrection is. It's not some take it or leave it non-essential doctrine that you can kind of have your own opinion about. Listen, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead, you should not call yourself a Christian. I mean, it's that essential. Either Christ is alive or Christianity is a lie. the, The whole doctrine of the resurrection is what we might call a watershed Doctrine. You understand what I'm saying? It is a defining doctrine. It is a divisive doctrine. It makes or breaks you as a believer. It's the line you have to cross. Does that make sense? Now look at verse 20. He says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Somebody say amen. Amen. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Look, what's Paul, Paul's saying, look, enough with this nonsense. Christ is risen from the dead okay, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Guys, Paul demonstrated conclusively the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's established the importance of that fact, and now he begins to explain how he, that is Jesus, (coughs) excuse me, serves as the first fruits of the resurrection, which speaks of a preliminary installment and a guarantee of the harvest to come, okay? What does it mean Jesus is the, and we'll just throw up our air quotes, first fruits of the resurrection? Well, Paul is referencing uh, the festival of first fruits or the feast of the harvest found in your Old Testament, okay? Now, listen to me the the festival of the harvest the feast of first fruits however you want to say took place the day after the sabbath following passover are, are you with me now this offering of first fruits was not a blood offering there was no atoning sacrifice involved because the Passover lamb had just been sacrificed. So the offering of the first fruits was a grain offering. You would bring the very first fruit of your harvest, the barley harvest. You would bring it to the Lord. The very first, the budding of the crop. Here it comes. It's the very first that's coming up. It's the first fruit you have. You would take that. You would bring it to the Lord. And the priest would put it in a sheaf, and he would wave it before the Lord, and the idea being that you were bringing to God the very first of your increase. It was a step of faith, because it was the very first of the harvest that you had, and so you're saying, God, you have provided this first fruit. I trust this is just the beginning of much more to come. And so the offering of the first fruit was an offering, listen, of expectation, of anticipation, of a great harvest to follow. Do you see kind of where this is going? And by the way, if you'll allow me to digress for just a quick second, this is also one reason that God desires that the tithe, and I know the word tithe weirds some people out. Let's just say whatever you give um, to be the first fruit. Okay, we give off the top, not from the bottom. We give to God first. When he provides, we honor him with the first of it, not the last of it, after we've paid off everyone and everything else, and then, God, you can have what maybe, you know, after all that's done. Because this becomes a step of faith, you understand? Saying, God, you've provided this. I trust you will continue to take care of my needs, so I'm honoring you with the very first of what you provide for me. Otherwise, guys, it's not a first fruit. It may be an only, you may say, well, this is like, it's like an only fruit because I'm not trusting God's going to provide more, or still, or still worse, it's the last fruit. It's the, it's the leftover When we present to God the very first, it says, God, I trust that there's a great harvest. God, I trust that, you know, you will provide sufficient for my every need. I'm not worried about the increase, God, because you've provided this. I know you will provide for all of my need. Does that make sense? So Jesus was the first fruit, the very first fruit, of the resurrection, follow the the flow, right, to be presented to God. It's an offering of anticipation, of expectation, saying there is a great harvest, there is much more to come in the same likeness. Are you with me? In the book of Romans, Paul put it like this. He said, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, then certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his, what's the word? Resurrection. resurrection. So the resurrection of Jesus anticipates the reality of what's to come with the whole harvest as He is, so you will be, right? As John said, when we see him, we will be like him. And just in case you missed it, allow me to circle back. Jesus was crucified on Passover in the grave on the Sabbath and rose again. Ladies and gentlemen, just let it blow your mind on the exact day of the festival of the first fruit, okay? Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Now listen, some of you are thinking, I don't know, pastor. I mean, I I hear what you're saying about you know Jesus being the, the first for the resurrection, but I mean can we i mean honestly I mean wouldn't you say I mean if we really believe the Bible, w- weren't there other people who 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 rose from the, the the dead before he did? I mean, is he really the first if other people were raised to life before him? I mean, I can think of you know just kind of off the top you know I think of like the 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 the, the child that Elijah you know helped you know when he was sick and he died and the the the, the woman came to him and then he He laid on the child and the child came back to life. I think of the man that when, you know, they were under attack and this guy who they were going to bury this guy and he fell on the bones of Elijah and he he popped back up to life. I mean, that was a wild one. And, uh, you know, I think of Jesus raising, of course, Lazarus from the dead and the widow's son. And I mean, all the, and Jairus' daughter. I mean, first fruit. I mean, how does that listen? Here's the deal. It's not saying that Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead. Okay, but those folks who were raised from the dead, I mean, we can say, honestly, probably some of the most depressed people to ever to walk the face of the earth, because, I mean, there they were in the presence of God, and then all of a sudden, so, I don't know if they were, I don't know if they were extracted, I don't know if it was like Lazarus, and he was like, oh, great, you know, and he kind of heard, and he's like, I'll go, I'll be a bit, I mean, you know, but he comes back in the same body, only to die again, Right? Anybody want to sign up for the die twice program? But that's, I mean, but that's, that's, that's essentially what happened. They were raised to life in these, we would call it here, listen, if you want to get specifically, uh, you know, specific about it, I wouldn't call that a resurrection. I'd call that a resuscitation, okay? They were brought back to life, but they were brought back to life in these same tents only to die again. Jesus, on the other hand, was brought or rose in his glorified body, his resurrection body, never to taste death again. He's the first fruit of the resurrection. Are you following me? For since by man came death, by the way, if you believe secular science, you believe that dinosaurs roamed the earth for about 165 million years and died out about 65 million years before man came on the scene. Uh, Just so you know, That both denies and defies the word of God, okay? The Bible says that nothing died before man, that is, Adam, sinned. You just read that, right? By man came death. The wages of sin is death. And since by man came death, then by man, that is, Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. Paul elaborates on this in the book of Romans He says that if by one man's sin, death can spread to all because all were in Adam when he sinned, then by one man's obedience, even Jesus, righteousness can be imputed or accredited to all. Now, the key is found in who it is that you are in. Are you following me? If you're in Adam, in other words, you've only experienced your natural birth, which is where we all begin, then only death and condemnation await you. If you're in Christ having been born again by the Spirit of God, you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, then life and salvation are yours. You see, in Christ all shall be made alive. That is, all who are in Christ. Does that make sense? Jesus said it like this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. You guys weren't sure if I was gonna make it to that verse, were you? How do you go through this passage and not bring up this verse? I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Here's the critical question confronting humanity and you specifically. Do you believe this? Now, that's not to say, ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me get this out here. That unbelievers won't experience a resurrection. Resurrection. They definitely will. But it's a resurrection, the Bible teaches, unto condemnation. Everyone receives a resurrection body. Do you understand? But not everyone will enter heaven in that body. Many will enter hell. Jesus said broad is the way, and many, you know, that lead to destruction go there. Which is another reason that we preach this message, isn't it? That men might be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. But notice, each one in his own order. We, In other words, it would be inappropriate, wouldn't it, for you or for me to receive a resurrection body before Jesus? He was the first. Then we at his coming, receive our resurrection body. Now, again, the reference is to your glorified body. This is where sometimes people get confused, and we may touch on it a little more next time, but they get confused, like, is there, is there soul sleep? What happens when I die if I won't be resurrected till then? I mean, how, does, how does all of this work? Listen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Okay but you'll take part in the resurrection, meaning the, the reuniting with your body, okay, uh, a, a, as was Christ at the rapture of the church. In other words, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. The, the reunion with your body, the resurrection at the rapture of the church. Again, more on that later in the chapter. We're not gonna, we're not gonna digress there just now. You might wanna come back next time if you're interested in that, okay? Okay. Uh, verse twenty four. Let's let's uh, read through the, the remainder of our section here. He says, "Then, so, so each in his own order. So this resurrection, the resurrection body, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at His coming. Okay. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When He puts an end to all rule and all authority." For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Now the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, meaning that the father put all things under Christ, it's evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, In other words, God, the Father, is not under him, but he put all things under him, that is Christ. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him. Why? That God may be all in all. Sounds a little like, riddle me this. You know, I, I get that. But God's ultimate eternal purpose in history Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10 says it this way that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. All things will be summed up in Christ. When everything is resolved, Christ reigning over all, Jesus will deliver or present the kingdom to God the Father, that God might be all in all, that God might be glorified as the author of the eternal plan of the ages. Now, when he says, then comes the end, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the end of the age, when after the resurrection, in the rapture, there is a seven-year period that the Bible refers to, Jesus spoke of as the great tribulation, Uh, and then Jesus returns, right? He puts down the wicked rule of man, the satanic regimes, the demonic dominion, and he reigns over the earth for a thousand years. He says, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. That's kind of a reference to The 110th Psalm. And at the end of this thousand years, and guys, this is kind of rapid fire succession. We don't have time to go in depth. I'd encourage you to look this stuff up, to research this on your own. But the Bible teaches that Satan will be released again for a time. Why? Because during the thousand-year reign of Christ, righteousness has reigned. People have had no choice. You will serve Jesus Christ and righteousness will reign. The Bible teaches that during that time, uh, that the longevity of life will be restored. Isaiah chapter 65 actually tells us that the, the one who dies at a hundred years of age in that time will be like a, this, a tragic death of a child okay but when Satan is released after the thousand years and Karen whenever you uh, are finished there you can make your way uh, forward there but uh, he will deceive as many the Bible teaches as the sand of the sea you can read that in Revelation chapter twenty. And they will come to make war with Jesus surrounding the city of Jerusalem in one final satanic rebellion. God will rain down fire upon them. They will be consumed in a moment. And what follows is what? The great white throne judgment. And Satan and his demons will be cast into the lake of fire. The Bible says the books will be opened and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And anyone's name not found written in the book will be cast into the lake of fire. All things being summed up in Christ. And Jesus will deliver the kingdom to God the Father, thereby ushering in the eternal state. Guys, in raising Jesus from the dead, God set this chain of events in motion, culminating in the final destruction of death, and the eternal state for all who are found in him. The sinless state. Ladies and gentlemen, don't be deceived. Death is your enemy. It is not your friend. Some, some are encouraged to embrace death as though it's a friend, you know. That's not biblical thinking. Uh, death is an enemy. It's okay to be uncomfortable around it. Now, we don't fear death. Death was defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, it's not your friend. It's your enemy that will one day not only be defeated as it was at the cross, but destroyed. Never again will death haunt anyone or burden. Anyone, and think about this, guys, not only will death be destroyed in the physical sense, but in the emotional sense, in the, the mental or psychological sense, the death of joy. Like you're, you, know, This is why heaven is a place of, of, of joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because there's, there's no death. I mean, the death of joy, destroyed, the death of peace, destroyed. Everything that brings about hopelessness or heaviness or sorrow, destroyed. Now, when we read that the Son himself will be subjected to the Father, again, allow me to emphasize, it has nothing to do with superiority or inferiority. What's in view is the administrative order of the Godhead that Jesus willfully subjected himself to that you read of in Philippians chapter 2, out of his great love for you and for me. Listen, you can't be less God, okay? I mean, you're either God or you're not, Uh, So completely equal in substance, but what Paul's saying is the Father will always remain the Father, the Son will always remain the Son. Does that make sense? That God may be all in all, as we read in Romans 11, for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. God, we stand in awe of the resurrection and all that it implies, all that it speaks of, all that it testifies to, the expectation, the anticipation of a great harvest. Even as you have said, lift up your eyes, the harvest. God, that we would be laborers to to bring the harvest in. God, we think of the destruction of death, a sinless eternal state. And Jesus, we believe that you are the resurrection and the life. We believe it, Lord. And we thank you for the promise of your word and we give you praise thank you Lord for speaking to us for affirming to us Lord for Lord, helping to brush away any last little like glimmers of doubt or those things that would seek to rob us of, of the assurance that you have provided for us Lord And listen, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if, if you've come here today and, and you're uncertain, you're unsure of all this, you don't know exactly what to believe, well, I want to encourage you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who was crucified for your sin, buried, and raised to life the third day for your justification. And God will robe you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ through simple faith in him. He really look salvation is is free, but it, it wasn't cheap it cost God everything, and he couldn't have made it any easier for you out of his great love for you i don 't know maybe maybe everybody here you've you've given your life to Christ you believe on the Lord and man if that's true then so be it that's, that's great but maybe you've come here today and maybe you've gone to church before or maybe it's your first time I mean I, I just don't know and something's resonating in your heart something's stirring in your inner man God is knocking on the door of your heart well if you'll open it and let him in he'll come in and you'll never be the same Is that you? Can I pray for you if that's you? If that is you, then I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. If I see your hand, I'll acknowledge it. You can put it back down, but I wanna give you a quick second here to say, you know what? I need Christ to come into my life, to forgive me of my sin, and to make me new. Is there anyone I can pray for? God bless you, I see you. I see you, bud. Anyone else? We're not asking you to, you know, commit to a church or anything like that. This is, man, this is between you and the Lord. Okay. Well, Father, I just thank you for uh, hearts that are opening before you, that are turning to you. and, uh, And I just pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit in this moment, God, that you would just envelop every heart, every mind that's here was just the tangible expression of your love. Your great love. You know, the Bible tells us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But we're called upon to confess our sin. And God will forgive us. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What does it mean to confess your sin? Does it say, Yep, I did it? Well. I mean, yeah, but it goes beyond that. What what confession means is, what it really means is an agreement. You're saying, God, I agree with you regarding the nature of my sin. I see my sin as you see my sin. And I'm asking you to cleanse me of my sin, you see. And so just come before him just in your heart and just cry out to Him. Just say, Lord, I I am a sinner. I I know, I, I agree with You. I have sinned and fall short of Your glory. And that's why I'm here. Lord, I'm asking You to forgive me, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Lord, come into my heart. Fill me with Your Spirit. Make Yourself real to me. And help me to lead my life for you. From this day forward. Being a light in a dark world. For the glory of your name. And thanks for putting my name in your book of life. Lord, I just want to thank you that uh, you have put our names in your book of life. I... uh, Words fail us to express the gratitude, the how do we, what can we say? But here is our life. Take us and make of us, mold us, use us. God, keep us eternally minded. Help us to not be distracted by the things of this world. To stay pointed toward you, that we might be used by you for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen? Amen. Family, brothers, sisters, let's stand to our feet. <clears throat> what, a, what a radical passage of Scripture, man. I, I encourage you guys to, I don't know, maybe read back over it. Just think through it. It's just one of those things that you want to have anchored in your soul. You know what I mean? Jesus is alive, Amen. Amen. Ah, glory to God. May the Lord bless you and be with you. May His spirit rest in power upon you, and may His word resonate and bring forth fruit in your life for the glory of His name. If you have any need for prayer that 's why we 're down here, and, and uh, we'd be glad to pray for you, whatever your need may be as we dismiss. We encourage you to take advantage of that again, if you want to if you know if you 're even thinking kind of peripherally about children 's ministry, guys. Or even if you're not thinking about it, maybe you should start thinking about it. And, uh, you know, by going to a meeting, you're not saying, well, I'm in. You're just saying, I- I'm open, okay? And I want to find out what is the vision, what is the direction, how, how what, you know, you, no one's going to, like, throw you, like, the, to the wolves, like, well, there you are, go teach them. No, no, man, we want to equip you, we want to educate you, we want to help you, you know. Uh, we would be remiss to just go, get in there, you know, we're going to do that to you. But let's pray, and then we'll let you go. And I just wanted to remind you that meeting's following here, so uh, don't duck out and then later go, oh, you know, kind of a thing. It's, I believe it is. is it up, I, It is upstairs. Yeah, so you can just, yeah, Justin in the big bright pink shirt, you can follow him right up, okay? He's hard to miss. God, we thank you just for your word today. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in you. We love you. Again, we just pray that you would go before us, continue to have your way in us. Lord, burden us for the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.